Hey guys, welcome to the Omnipresence Podcast. My name's Jack Tucker. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this is episode two, and it's a conversation I had with a wonderful woman local to me called Claire Wallenstein, who is an integral part of a environmental group called Rain Peninsula Beach Care, and they do amazing work clearing up a section of the Cornwall coastline dragging tan and just so much plastic you wouldn't believe off the beach they do amazing stuff uh, she's an ex-BBC journalist she's so lovely as soon as we met I just felt she's just a great person and we had a really lovely conversation I know you're going to enjoy it um, I got a lot out of it I know that and uh, unfortunately at 12 minutes my camera uh, stopped recording and I didn't realise uh, that DSLRs can only record up to 12 minutes at a time it's a limit so unfortunately after 12 minutes there's no video however the audio is all good so no worries there it's a podcast so if you're on YouTube sorry if you're on iTunes thanks a lot if you're on iTunes and you like it and you like the content give us a review let us know how to make it better we're all new to this so yeah thanks very much and enjoy god bless yeah after I went to uni I um I worked as a journalist for a while and then I ended up going and um, living in the Philippines for three and a half years. Wow. I was stringing for The Guardian and the BBC awesome. World Service. And then I was in Venezuela and then I was in London for a little bit and then ended up in Spain. So I feel like my understanding of the UK or England is really limited. Um, yeah. Which really came home to me after Brexit vote because, uh, you know, I think it probably did to a lot of people. When I've been abroad, you know, people are always fascinated and ask me so much about, oh, what's it like in England? What do British people think about this and that? Yeah. And I realised that I have no idea because I'm basing all my answers just on this little pocket, which is really very, very unusual. And Here? Yeah. Oh, right. You, you know, haven't. This, th- this th- is where you're from, is it? This is where I'm from, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, cool. so I grew up in Kingsand. Yeah. So my parents moved here in the early 60s, so they were a couple of first incomers. Wow. And... Um, and then, you know, I mean, it was pretty bleak in Corsand in the 80s and I left when I was 18 and I went, I wanted to have something really different and really urban and gritty and yeah. just like a totally different experience. So I went to Bradford University yeah. and I lived out there for five years and I'm glad I did because that's probably the only experience I've really had of anything apart from this or London, you know, and yeah. I wouldn't have known that any place like this was part of the same island. You contrast, know. isn't it? Bradford with here. Yeah, yeah, yeah learned to like curry a lot it was brilliant i really liked it yeah i loved it and i love the people up there um it just seems like a distant dream now you know um yeah but i'm I'm just really happy to be back here again yeah um you know had all those great times abroad but then i think because we had small children and i just realized i wanted them to have the same kind of upbringing i'd had in the yeah. same place so we came back awesome from the philippines to here from spain to here oh from spain yeah yeah cool like so how did you get into the beach cleaning um have you always like lo- like have you always had like a relationship with wet sands obviously being from yeah of course i mean we used to spend every day we never had any holidays when i was a kid i mean it was every day down at freebie wow. or Tregenhawk. and um in my mind i mean maybe it wasn't that way maybe i just didn't notice the plastic but in my memory all those times all those sunny days you know it was all playing with driftwood and shells and bits yeah. of sea glass and stuff and um so there was glass back then yeah yeah 
there was an old fisherman actually in the village that used to he was like the Pied Piper of Hamelin he was called Jim Kingdon and he would take all of us kids down on the beach and he was just like brilliant at finding the blue glass from the poison bottles yeah and that was like our proper treasure I mean now you're lucky if you can find any glass at all aren't you yeah. it's, it's all I've been heard picked that up. blue glass is like the, the one to find yeah like. yeah yeah and um but of course, glass is actually sand, isn't it? So it's somewhat more, um, you know, it's like it it, more inert. It than doesn't nature, have the environmental it? impact that plastic does. I mean, it will be the thing that lasts longest. You know, I mean, I think it's probably like a million years before glass, glass breaks down. Yeah, 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 mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And then you have to think of actual glass in use. I think the the trouble with a lot of these environmental things and people having knee jerk reactions and want, oh, we must replace, you know, um, plastic coffee cups with these different types of coffee cups you know it, it's looking at the whole impact of them from their manufacture to their mm. transport and their use and their dis yeah. disposal and of course glass the manufacture of glass is incredibly energy hungry ah. transport of glass it's really heavy compared to plastic so you're producing a lot more emissions yeah. transporting it around obviously you know a lot of um of of producers don't like it because it's of the breakage and uh -huh. everything else so but it's recyclable it is recyclable but that's one sort of thing but that it is recyclable but that can also everything. be used to sort of sometimes these benefits can be like used as like selling points to sort of yeah like and now they've I noticed there's this big push of like oh we're making roads out of plastic now <sighs> and oh we're making houses out of plastic collect yeah. all these but and it's almost everyone's like yeah it's great no, and it's like no. in a way it's like yeah like we could use up all the plastic we've got left mm. but let's not use it as an excuse mm. to continue producing millions of tons of it i think there's a real um lack of knowledge among the public which is completely understandable you know it's completely natural to think if you're putting out your glass bottles in the recycling that they're going to be recycled into more glass bottles but they're yeah. not oh really they're just smashed up into aggregate which is used in road surfacing oh really mm. so glass bottles are made from new glass plastic bottles are made from new plastic your plastic bottles do not make more plastic bottles they get downcycled into fleece or carpet tiles or something like that oh really <coughs> ah but they're not making more plastic bottles, so it's not a closed loop at all. It's mm. just sort of postponing the inevitable because those things aren't going to be recycled at the end of their lifetime. Oh, right. <coughs> so it's like repurposing, really, they should call it. Yeah. Um, because you know, a cycle would, ins would suggest that it's like coming back round to its initial, you know, but it's not cyclic, is it? It's kind no. of like... and unless it is that, it's pointless. Yeah. You know, because um, you're just create continuously creating this demand there. for more stuff making more products yeah you know and that shouldn't be seen as being the answer the answer should be looking at do we actually need any of that stuff in the first place you know i'm not <clears throat> inherently anti-plastic you know i think plastic yeah. is an amazing material if you look around us most of what we've got around us is made of some form of plastic yeah um and obviously it's transformed our lives in many ways you look at um heart valves in uh, heart surgery yeah or the the components of cars you know cars are half as light as they used to be yeah or half as heavy as they used to be yeah um which is all really good but it's the fact that we're using over half of the plastic we make to make single-use items we're going to use for yeah. 10 minutes and throw away yeah it's mad yeah god that's like quite a good that's like a good amount of information i just learned a fair bit that i had no <laughs> idea about that so like are you aware of like you, s you said a minute ago when we were talking that like you see these little pockets of groups doing similar things around. Are mm. you aware of any more like off the top of your head of people who are doing this? Doing kind similar sorts of stuff to yeah. us. Met masses. Yeah. There's so many around Cornwall. I mean, Cornwall really is like this sort of 
beacon it's like this green beacon for the country i think um possibly because we do get a lot more than our fair share of the marine debris because obviously we're that was another question i had for you actually yeah yeah first landfall from the atlantic so and obviously the current's all coming this way yeah um you know some of the stuff will be locally generated um but we know that a lot of what we get actually comes across from american canada really yeah so we get quite a lot of um i in, in, in North America and Canada, lobster fishermen have to use a special type of plastic tag to put yeah. on their lobster pots. And they have um, stamped marker boys on their lobster pots. And yeah. these quite often wash up. And they have the date of the wow. of the license. Sometimes they even have the fisherman's name and phone number. You can ring them up and say, <laughs> I found your whatever it was. Um, and we get natural debris as well. So we get um, sea beans, which are like the seed pods of tropical vines that come across in the Caribbean. So you can see that stuff is clearly coming across. Wow. So that's the identifiable stuff. We don't know how much of the unidentifiable stuff is from that far away as well. We get lots of stuff from shipping and the fishing boats. And, you know, we've just got the big shipping lanes, right? That's quite a big one, isn't it? Like, that's Mm. like a big contributor. I was just reading on a Facebook thread. There seems to be a bit of a, like, political rub with the fishermen with, like, the netting and stuff. Yeah. They don't seem too happy Uh, with the kind of with you know the criticism of it in a way which i can understand from some point of view but also i, I kind of feel that like you know it's in everyone's interest to if, come up with this, a solution if, if this was an interview that was going out in a widely read newspaper or something i wouldn't be able to say this but because i'm just talking to you yeah <laughs> um i can tell the truth um yeah. so i don't know what the situation is in the rest of the country but i would say 70 to 80 percent of the plastic waste that we pick up on our beaches is fishing related wow and when you think that this is a tiny industry its contribution to our economy is minimal there's eleven thousand fishermen in our country yeah and it can't be right that they're producing such an enormous amount of this problem but then it's could the fish that that's from this country but then a lot of that waste is coming from abroad would you say yeah i mean we don't know do we it could yeah. be you know the immediate reaction they, from the fishermen they say, oh it's not us oh yeah it's the spanish it's the french you yeah. know i mean i i hope they're right and that after brexit uh you know we won't be getting any of this stuff washing up because they come and fish in british waters do they yeah the they do and french and well whatnot. they have the right to so as british oh, okay. british fishermen have the right to fish in certain places um i've been doing quite a bit of reading about this recently and um i've been quite surprised um to find out i'd had no idea that british fishermen have actually the second largest quota in the whole eu okay um which seems incredible <laughs> and uh ah, i just think well, considering ha- our size or population. considering our size and, and the fact that all we hear about is how you know the french fishermen are coming over here and raping our waters yeah. and you know actually they have a smaller catch than we do yeah um, and when you think that France and Spain are the biggest markets for British fish, it does all seem a little bit um, wonky. Yeah. Um, I suppose you can spin anything, can't you? Yeah, like, you I can. I suppose the, the thing they might say is that, like, yeah, but that's what they're saying. You mm. know, they, they'll probably suggest there's a big black market or something. Oh, for sure. Then. You know, but um, I think we've kind of got into this thing where the fishermen are viewed as heroes sort of on, on a par with the military, you know. Yeah. And of course they do a really really tough it's quite romantic, job isn't it yeah and it's quite a like you can see why it's because it's a bit of a throwback as well isn't it because it's a dying thing it's yeah. got a patriotic kind yeah, of yeah 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 thing to it and even I think though i'm kind of against it as a vegan i don't think it's very good at all but like fair play to them they're doing but i think there's something that's... in all of us you know that we sort of 
have this sort of romantic attachment to these sort of I, dying yeah, me too, yeah. things and yeah. you know with the march of globalization uh you know all these old trades that are disappearing and people who still have the knowledge and the resources to be able to to go out and actually have a job that's sort of totally just you know one step away from the natural world i think is fantastic yeah, you know you're right. for most of us who spend our whole time behind laptops and uh-huh you know living virtually yeah in a <coughs> team of guys like or, yeah. or girls like you know but i can see i can definitely see the appeal mm. you know it's supposed to be a very hard job isn't it it's supposed I, to be like very grueling oh physical, god i think like, it is out in the wind and rain and incredible hours around. really scary dangerous conditions you know and i can understand you know obviously working on a fishing boat is not a stable mm-hmm. platform you know um it's in, inevitable that you're going to get things being lost over the side yeah <coughs> Um, and you know that 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 is understandable, but the majority of what we pick up is cut off bits of trawl net. So when nets are broken, you know trawling you're you're trawling a net along the bottom, it's going to get snagged on rocks and mm-hmm. and wrecks, and sometimes the nets have to be cut away because it's going to pose a danger to the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so often the nets are damaged and have to be fixed. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's all these little cut-off bits. I've picked up about 4,000 of those bits just over the Christmas holidays, Whoa. just on Tregenhawk and Tregantle. And if you put all those bits, you know, I'm sure you could easily think, oh, it's just nothing, just a tiny bit of net. But when mm. you add them all together and their propensity to sort of break down and form, you know, and, and break down into microplastics, yeah. it's so unnecessary. So I, ho- I hope in the next few weeks we're going to be doing some talking with some fishermen's associations and harbour masters and sort of looking at how and where the nets are mended and can their sort of waste disposal be improved. Yeah. And there are loads of fishermen who are doing fantastic stuff. They're working with the fishing for litter scheme. So when they pull up their trawls and they pull up a lot of the sinking type of plastics, um, you know, they can they have dumpy bags and they can bring those back to shore and dispose of them. I think many many fishermen have drastically changed and improved their practices and like you say a lot of this stuff could be coming from from other countries yeah. from it could be very old it could be 30 or 40 years old mm-hmm. but um you know nevertheless the majority of what is on the beaches is from the fishing industry and you know hopefully things going to change microplastics like what is what is microplastic exactly like what is is it broken down plastic or is it actually like micro beads and produced to be very small for do you know what i mean there is that as well so microplastic is a term that's given to any piece of plastic that's under five millimeters wide okay basically so it could be either so actually the the majority of uh numerically of the things that you find on some beaches like trigantle Mm -hmm. um this is a something i find absolutely fascinating so the sea salt stuff so you don't get everything washing up in every place so like where you get a fine sandy beach or a coarse shingly beach on that fine sandy beach you'll get much more of the microplastics and the the lighter floating things and on the shingly beaches you'll often get the the much sort of more dense harder sinking plastics and and so like palorn you'll get a lot of um cable ties and really old bits of fabric and and bottlenecks and all sorts of things is that because they grab and get stuck and then they kind of, as the sea would wash it back out potentially, they get snagged? I think maybe the the sinking stuff um, goes down and gets all sort of tangled up in the kelp beds. Okay. And then you'll have like a big storm that rips all the kelp out and ah. washes it up on shore and it all comes up with it. So there oh you'll get really old stuff like um, 
until about the 70s, that area was used as a dump site for solid waste from the dockyard. Oh, so right. you get all these really old, you know, sort of engine filters and solid electric cables. What yeah. were they doing? I know. What they There's actually a trench offshore there that's still just full of all this stuff. Oh, my God. You get a lot of coal from it's the ru- wreck of the Rose Hill. Unforgivable, actually, isn't it? <laughs> I know. It... It's important not to let yourself get too down about it because we yeah. have created such a huge mess in such a short period of time. Yeah. And we can't undo that. Uh-huh. But we can try to make things less bad in the future because if we yeah. don't do something, it's going to get a hell of a lot worse, yeah. you know. Um, how do you keep, like, how do you keep motivated? Like, when it's, you know, you can clean the beach. And I'm sure it's not like when you clean, like, a house and you can see, ah, the house is now clean. It's mm. like, you know, because the tide's coming in and with it comes more plastic. Like, how do you keep yourself, like, in a positive <laughs> headspace when it's... Well, I think at the beginning, so we set up <coughs> Rain Peninsula Beach Care in 2013 and it, things were pretty bad then. And I never thought we'd still be going six years later mm. and still getting sort of, you know, 50, 60, sometimes 100 people down on the beach every wow. month to, to come and clean up. <clears throat> I just thought it would be a sort of kind of flash in the pan thing and that people would be enthusiastic for a bit and then tail yeah. off. Um, but talking about that, you know, I, I, I did think, well, God, you know, what is the point really? Because it's all just washing in again on the next tide. But mm-hmm. actually over time, I think we have made an impact in this area which seems crazy but you can see it when you really focus on particular items so we did a thing a couple of years ago where we worked with some other beach cleaning groups around Cornwall this was around the time when people were starting to talk about bringing in a deposit scheme on plastic bottles so Mm -hmm. we thought what could we make that will sort of add in some way to this campaign so we decided to just focus on plastic bottle tops and over three months of the winter we we're all just like out the whole time picking up every plastic bottle top we could find in three months and this is just some beaches in Cornwall we picked up 65,000 bottle tops god and we there was this amazing guy who sadly is no longer with us but he used to um work uh, doing shifts in a in a meat packing factory and so he was really used to shift work he, he was suffering from cancer at the time and could no longer get down to do beach cleaning so he pulled shifts in his garage stringing all these bottle tops together and um, he made it into a chain that was 1.1 kilometres long. Oh my god! Which we had this crazy day with hundreds and hundreds of people. Where we took it, we walked it all the way down onto Tregenhawk Beach. Yeah. And uh, took it back down. <laughs> well, we still use it. We've still got so we've given half of it to a big organisation that use it in all sorts of big exhibitions at XL and okay. Royal Geographical Society and stuff. Yeah. And we've got the other half in our container down here in the boatyard in Millbrook. And yeah. we've used it so much in public awareness events and yeah. it really, it's you know, good, speaks like, to people. Stimulation. Because it's not, oh, that's from fishermen or that's from somebody else. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, this is stuff we're all using every yeah. day. But the point is that since we did that, suddenly we realised how few bottle tops we pick up now. And wow. it makes you see, you know, of course, this stuff has been sloshing around for decades, probably. Yeah. And you take it out of the system and it's not all just coming back in again nice. on the next tide. So it does have an impact. Good. Same thing with shotgun wadding. You know, at the beginning, this is like the inside part of a shotgun cartridge. And we used to pick up thousands. I can remember one day at Tregantel picking up 741 of them. Whoa. Which we think... Um, you know, partly will have been coming over from Canada because they have this massive annual hunt of um, of seabirds off boats there. They shoot hundreds and thousands of them. 
Wow. Yeah. And uh, but again, don't really pick up that many of them anymore. No. Um, so it's actually quite slow. The 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 incoming yeah, nature that, of it. Yeah, that's just it's been just, building up for years. Of them doing up. It builds up. God. might get washed back out again but then it comes back in yeah so yeah that's been quite positive on the microplastics so what i was just going to say was um yeah part of them are the smashed up remains of other things but we have a really big problem here especially at trigantle which is a microplastics beach um with the nurdles so nurdles are they're the pellets they're the sort of feedstock for the plastics industry mm-hmm. um and this is another thing that really gets my goat because you know the British Plastics Federation will say, oh, marine plastic, you know, nobody wants it to end up in the sea. It's such a shame, but it's just irresponsible consumers, you know. Oh, I see, yeah, pass and in the buck. Yeah, kind of thing. but in fact, on Triantle, you can go down there, um, especially sort of late winter, springtime, mm-hmm. and you can have, the beach looks like it's covered in confetti. You can walk for miles, and it's just this sort of metre-wide tideline of all these little coloured pellets. Oh, my God. Um, it's estimated that the plastics industry loses about 53 billion every year in the UK. Where do they come from, sorry, these little pellets? So this is how all our plastic stuff starts its life, oh, as pellets. Right. Yeah. And they're melted down and then they're just sort of formed into whatever, you know, your bottle or your sunglasses or your laptop yeah. cover or whatever it's going to be. And um, and because they're so tiny, they just, you know, you split a bag, they get on the floor, they go down the drain. You know, there's really simple but how things does the drain, uh, are there still drains heading out into the ocean yeah yeah that's like a thing there's a, well, there's a lot of human waste and stuff and just drains no 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 no, no. so i mean all of all all drains go back into a sewage treatment works um even you know all our, all the surface water off roads it all goes via sewage treatment works oh. unless you're in a storm situation when there's too much water and it just goes straight Drain into flows, the river yeah but then how does how is it that this volume of um, nerdles like microplastics is coming from industry straight into the because that's bypassing the consumer because it's pre-production isn't it's it? pre-production so how is that ending up on the beaches does anyone know well it'll be either that a that Storm. you know they're lost from factories yeah. they will go through a sewage treatment works but those sewage treatment works aren't designed with meshes small enough to trap that kind of thing mm-hmm. So they'll just go straight through. They're tiny. Wow. And, um, you know, also a lot of them could be lost in transit. Um, we know there's been a few cases where, you know, obviously all our stuff is brought yeah. to us by container ship, isn't it? Of course, if a container ship goes, then... I don't know if you've ever seen these pictures of container ships, how they are. They, they, you have these 20 or 40 foot long massive containers stacked, mm. you know, yeah. maybe 10 high. They hit a freak wave or en- a storm and they can just lose dozens of them really so you know one container of nurdles they're normally they're they're shipped on pallets in plastic sacks and there'll be trillions of them in a container and those sacks will split open before long you know and when you think about how exponentially our plastic production is going to rise over the next you know decade even it's i think it's going to more than double you know it's quite scary stuff god is that is that is that like uh do you know that for sure that it's gonna that it's only gonna increase because it it seems like everyone's kind of wanting to turn away from it it seems like it's it's you know like how veganism like 10 years ago was extremely fringe Mm. and very much like kind of like culturally sort of like outside and now i notice like even people who i would have thought like now people who even a couple of years ago who i thought would never listen to it are seeing it because they're connecting the dots finally there's Mm. too there's too many dots around that the shape of it's emerging like health 
all these different things, the animals, like all the, the environment, it's all coming together mm. into this kind of picture that they're and now the seeing. And the human health as well. And I would have never have thought that, but it's becoming so obvious, like mm. that, and especially with the environment, it seems like plastics are like gonna be there like pretty soon. Because have you have you heard about um just slightly to the side, have you heard about microplastics being in us? Yeah. Yeah, because that's like a big deal now. Like that that's. Mm. Potentially, like, I only heard about this the other day. I saw a YouTuber that I watch. He he had a blood. He ha- he's had really bad health for a long time for various reasons, and he had this blood filtering thing done in Germany where they take blood from you and then put it back in you, basically, and run it through a, pl- a plastic filter. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, what they taken out at the bottom was all like microplastics straight out of his bloodstream. Sure, it wasn't off the plastic filter. No, they s- <laughs> they said because it went away for testing and stuff, mm. and then the it doctors, was different. and it was plastic, so that's yeah. actually ending up like inside of us. So I wonder whether, when eventually all these things catch up and they catch on, whether it will be like okay, we have to stop this nonsense now. Or I think ultimately it's going to be when, and and sadly that might be too late when you can actually prove the impact on human health. That's going to be when it, the world really wakes up to it. Yeah. Um, you know they found microplastics in rainwater in salt in tap water i mean we can't get away with it if you eat a kilo of mussels you're getting about eleven thousand microplastic fragments in there um it's good lord it's extraordinary it's been found locked in antarctic ice arctic ice plastics down at the bottom of the marianas trench which is seven miles deep it's everywhere and to think that we've done this in 60 years it's just mind-blowing isn't yeah it? <coughs> good lord mm. and i think now they're sort of wondering in fact you know when you get down to a really sort of nano size of of microplastic particle um looking at whether that's even capable of crossing the blood brain barrier oh no you know (laughs) it's it's pretty scary stuff but then if it is is it actually doing any harm yeah we don't know i think a whole other aspect of the plastic stuff can't be great it can't be great no if it's going to be that small a thing then maybe it's negligible anyway the thing is you've got you've got the physical impacts of plastic so obviously when animals are ingesting it you know and yeah. you'll have seen those photos of the albatross in in on on midway island in the in the pacific you know where the parents are feeding their chicks plastic yeah. and they're just getting completely filled up with plastic and uh-huh. until they die and and the corpse just rots away and you're left with this little pile of plastic that just becomes is still perfect and is re-released to you know bung up the next chick um, you know, massive impacts on wildlife. So it's, it's estimated that a million seabirds and a hundred thousand marine mammals are being killed by plastic every year in the sea, wow. which is which is crazy. But it's not just those physical impacts. It's the fact that because plastic is made from oil, it's a fat, and we, alongside sort of plastic production, also started to make a huge range of, of persistent organic pollutants, flame retardants, PCBs, DDT, mm-hmm. all these awful things with really scary side effects, which most of which were banned decades ago, but they persist in the environment. So they're still out there. They're still in our rivers and our sediment and our seawater, mm-hmm. but they much prefer to attach to something fatty. Mm. So you can find, um, we've actually done tests on um, with a lab in Japan of microplastics from Dragantle. And the levels of these things attached to the surface of the plastics is is drastically higher than it is in the seawater. The, the level of 
the, attached to them, sorry? The persistent organic pollutants. So yeah. all, all these long band oh, chemicals. Right. They're attaching to the plastic. Well, attached as to well. the plastic because oh they're God. lipophilic. They want to be on fat. It's like a horror movie. It is. It's and like so they're alive. <laughs> <laughs> they're coming for us. And so then, you know, when wildlife or arguably humans are consuming these plastics, it's it's not necessarily the plastic that's a problem because, you know, um, they found that one third of the fish being landed at Plymouth have plastics inside their guts and people say well it doesn't matter it's in the gut you know we're not going to eat that but the problem is that those chemicals that are attached to the plastic or which were originally additives in the plastic because they want to be on fat yeah they quite like the plastic but, but gonna... they prefer body fat yeah and they can leach out um into the body fats of those animals yeah and so we, we're eating that you know um, and so plastics almost like a sort of vector for a lot of other things that it can introduce into organisms um, God. So, really good example of this. Um, we have one pod of killer whales left in the UK yeah. off the west coast of Scotland. They've been studied since I think about the 1970s, and in all that time, they've never produced a calf. So, they are the walking dead. They're on their way out. Um, and one of them was found dead. Um, she, she'd been entangled in crab pot ropes and she washed up a couple of years ago. And. Um, when they tested her blubber, the levels of PCBs in that blubber were over 100 times the safe maximum level. God. And, of course, one of the impacts of PCBs is infertility. Oh, of course. So That's so sad. And because they're apex predators, you know, they're getting this biomagnification of these chemicals all the way out through the food chain. Oh, no. I know. So, like, why is it that then... Why is it that then it's... Why is nobody listening? Why are we not changing? And why is it that, like... You can say that about lots of things. Look at climate change. You know, yeah. we've, uh, at the most conservative estimates, we've got 12 years left to get something done. And we're all just like, oh, that's quite scary. Let's go shopping, you know. Yeah. Switch um, to vegan cheese. Like, like you say, I mean, I think in our part of the world, I think especially with plastics, because <clears throat> I think it's something so visible and it's something so unnecessary and it's something easy for people to get angry about. Mm -hmm. um, I think people are really waking up to that. But then you have to look at China and India and the whole of the rest of the world where, you know, and uh, and that's not to say that people don't care yeah. in those places. I mean, I think there are some amazing, what really annoys me is when people are like, oh, all those filthy countries overseas, yeah. you know, there's some um, incredible people who are fighting against much greater odds mm -hmm. in India and Indonesia and stuff who are really doing yeah. amazing stuff on plastics. Yeah. You know, I'm mean, sure you've heard of Afro Shah in India. Is that the beach in Mumbai? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like one guy on his own starting to clean a beach, which anybody else would have been like, oh, well, that's, yeah. you know, too far gone. And they've got turtles nesting there again now, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, that's um, amazing. The before amazing. and after shots of that are, yeah. in, are incredible. It's That's an amazing achievement, it is. isn't it? So but there I is hope. I, I think there's definitely hope. But it's, um, you know... And you look at how our population's going to grow just in the next sort of 30, 40 years. But isn't, um, hasn't, it's, that's an interesting point because hasn't, it wasn't last year the first year that the population didn't actually grow in Great Britain? Didn't more people pass away than were born last year? Um, that's probably true here. Yeah. But I think as a global population, that's yeah. not going to be the case, is it? I think, yeah. you know, when my, my parents were born, there were only two billion people in the world. Yeah. And what, are we now nearly at eight or something? Um, yeah. You know. That's what they say. Like, I know that's, like, it's in a crazy number to even think of eight billion. And I'm not, like, I, 
I've run I've run through that in my head a few times, and it's hard for me to imagine how we can go from two to eight in that short amount of time. Mm. Because when you think about it, like for for the populations to increase, you have to have more than two children. Yeah. Everyone has to have more than well, not everyone, but more than you know half the people or whatever have to have more than two children. But even if that's the case, that only maintains it. Do you know what I mean? That only mm. keeps it steady. And you're seeing so much like, I know that there's like the third world and everywhere else, but it does just seem like that's such a ginormous leap mm. in that amount of time. It, I mean, it, maybe that is the case, third world, people having more kids and that being exponential, like maybe that is it. But I think it's it's been, like you say, if you look at countries in the West, you know, Japan's population is declining, isn't yeah. it? You know, I think the more developed countries, <coughs> populations aren't really rising or they're rising very, yeah. very slowly. I suppose um, it's 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 countries where, until so recently, probably the life expectancy would have been incredibly short, and now you yeah. know, as sort of um, you know, better medical assistance arrives and vaccinations and better food security, and you know, as 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 conditions are improving um, in a, in a lot of those countries, and you probably have a lag where it's been traditional to have five, six, seven children, yeah. and sort of in anticipating possibly that some of them won't make it you know but most of them are now you know i suppose there's going to be a period of time where the population continues to grow until that sort of fertility rate goes down yeah well maybe this d d d was it DDC? ddt maybe that will play a part in it who knows oh like what's the um do you guys get um because you've been going a long time do you get support from the government and everything do you get any have you had any kind of support? funding well yeah funding or like yeah we we have um we got some lottery funding the first year and we got some eu funding the first year um personally i find the funding quite difficult um it's it's quite onerous and time consuming doing all the applications and and um and actually in the end we we don't have a lot of costs um and we 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 get some private donations. We raise quite a lot each year through copy mornings and different events like that, and that's sort of enough to keep us ticking along. And I feel, in a way, helps keep you more genuine as well, and just sort of do what you want to do as a group. Because often, when you get funding, the funders have a very clear clear sort of parameters of what it is that they're looking to fund, and so okay. you end up having to sort of, you know, contort your aims into what they want to fund and and then you're sort of ticking their boxes and it doesn't you know it's it takes you away from the essence of what you were trying to do in the first place that's interesting it's kind of like the whole thing of money it just has that aspect to it when you apply it to almost anything Mm. like as soon as money comes into something you instantly have to kind of um instantly have to sacrifice some kind of element of your authenticity or something yeah. like that where it comes to like art or whether it comes to media or like any kind of career like you're always selling out well like it's quite <laughs> we live in a capitalist consumerist system and we all need money to survive and yeah but what yeah. you know like it's what i really like about like this conversation is that like you saying that there's all sorts of these little um pockets of community kind of uh, groups sort of coming up especially in the south and it seems like that i mean that for me is definitely the future because it's it is about responsibility mm. and when it, like in my opinion it's like people don't want responsibility so they're happy for the government to just do whatever they want even at the cost of their own wealth 
like they're happy for the government just to make decisions and it's like okay they'll deal with it we don't have to be engaged in it but actually mm. like you you guys you've gone down there you've taken responsibility for your local place you're like and taken response taken other uh, taken on other people's like responsibilities cleaning up other people's mess and it's like that to me is like really empowering and that's kind of like the essence of like where we should be like i am like an anarchist in that regard like i don't i don't feel like but not in a way that's like, oh, let's go, let's do whatever we want whenever we want. It's like, let's mm -hmm. be like personally responsible for more than like more stuff or everything. Let's like take responsibility completely for our lives. The government shouldn't really be getting involved in everything. Like it's quite a, I don't know, the, the fact that you say there's a lot of other groups doing that, to me, if that keeps happening, I think that's like, that's the real like revolution in yeah. my opinion. And if that can become part of our culture, like again, that would be amazing, I think. I, d I, I agree and I don't really agree with you that people don't want to take responsibility I think yeah. it's that people don't know how to take responsibility well, yeah, and don't point. have the feel that they have the power to mm -hmm. and um, I mean I know this is only a tiny thing uh, you know a tiny part of a, a big issue um, but I've been so blown away really by the response we've had through Rain Peninsula Beach Care just seeing how many people keep coming back again and again and again Um you know, I think I was saying before, we obviously live in a world full of very scary, big environmental issues that we don't know what we can do about as individuals or how yeah. we can help. But when it's something really localised to your area and we all love where we live and um, it's, it's kind of an empowering thing being able to get down and actually physically put your hands on the thing that is the problem. And even though we will never completely clean the beaches or the seas, you know, just thinking every single bit of plastic that you remove is one bit less that's out there to yeah. do harm. You know, that is that in a thousand years, maybe will have killed something and it's not going to yeah. this time. Wow. Um, and it's also become a real sort of um, social cohesion thing, I think. You know, you get to spend a couple of hours on the beach. That's all you're doing. And you're mm -hmm. doing it with like-minded people. And we're all bouncing ideas off e each other and encouraging each other to keep going. Um, and it's a really kind of beautiful thing. Nice. Uh, and I was down on Tregantle Beach on Christmas Day. <coughs> and I walked down there. And it's not because of us particularly. I think it's because it's becoming such a mainstream thing. But everybody down there had a bag and was picking up plastic oh, that's amazing and and i think as soon as other people can see more people doing it then it gives sort of gives them the permission to think oh it's okay i can do that as well you know yeah. and it, it will make a difference because i'm not on my own um so i also co-coordinate something called the cornish plastic pollution coalition and we're a group now of over 50 organizations around cornwall and um, most of them they're sort of marine conservation or beach cleaning groups mm -hmm. like us but there's all sorts of other things like Truro Cathedral and you know all sorts of um some of the transition groups and um and we come together twice a year and and all support each other in our individual campaigns and that's had a massive impact you know the pace of change in Cornwall yeah. on many levels is and, and the number of campaigns that have started off here is massive compared to other parts of the country and the impact that we're having on the council um you know the the ca county council has has said that it's going to go single use plastic free, um. So there's lots of really cool wow. stuff happening. Is that Carradine Council have said that? Cornwall Council, there's no Carradine anymore. Oh really? That was when we still had district councils, so now oh. we've only got the county council. Oh, I see. <coughs> so um, I think you know you see stuff like that building, and it's it's like a snowball effect, and I think yeah. that does make me feel really hopeful. Yeah. Um, and similarly, you know, like with the Extinction Rebellion movement, you know that started off really small and you thought oh, it's 
and then you know within a few weeks you know i went mm. to a meeting the other night and there were over 60 people there you know all from all tiny villages and walks of life all around our sort of local nice. part of Cornwall, you know, who are prepared to actually sacrifice their liberty to, you know, get something done yeah. about climate change. So I think as soon as there is an avenue and people can see that there's some way that they can get involved that isn't just them on their own, uh -huh. then they do want to take responsibility. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's a really nice place to leave it, actually. Sure. I think, yeah, I think that's like... I mean, we can keep we can keep having a chat and like see see where it goes, but that's like maybe a really nice place to leave it on the on the edit. I don't know. Okay, that's but good because I think that was my kids calling me. Was it? <laughs> I could just feel my phone going. Yeah, well, thanks. I just want to say thanks oh. so much oh, for no, like doing this. No I really appreciate it. Like, it's the first time I've ever done this, and it's been really cool. And yeah. you've been amazing. Like, no, I've it was great. Like it was really nice to speak to you. Yeah, thanks so much. Cheers. <laughs>